What is that? What is that one? That, that's metal bits, which is hard. It's hard to explain what that is. But this one is is teeth. Okay. <laughs> and and true to its promise, there are all different kinds of teeth related things in there, like dental molds and 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 actual teeth. My grandfather's wisdom teeth, some gaboon viper fangs. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Um, we've got doll arms. And that's Jessica Oreck. Jessica has spent the last 30 years or so collecting odd and forgotten objects. I have um, a collection of boxes that are too small to hold anything, a collection of animals that have only three legs. For years, Jessica tucked her collection into tins and boxes and her dresser drawers, and then she carted it with her from apartment to apartment. But she's finally decided to share it with the world. Today, we're going to Las Vegas, to the office of collecting and design. After this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. First, who are you? Um, my name's Jessica Oreck. Am I supposed to say more about myself? I don't know. Uh, I, I, I mean, I guess I normally say I'm a filmmaker and artist. Um, sounds a little pretentious, though. <laughs> <laughs> my wife Michelle and I first met Jessica Oreck at a mutual friend's party some 13 years ago. And we all bonded pretty immediately over a shared love of wax anatomical models. But in addition to being a wax anatomical model enthusiast, Jessica's also a filmmaker, an artist, and she's always been a collector. I mean, and I feel very much that that being a collector is much more than a hobby. To me, it is a personality trait. I don't know what I was like as a child, though I do know I was a collector from the get-go. Tiny rocks, dead cockroaches, you name it, I collected it in my closet. It's not just objects, it's also people and experiences and the way that I organize my life is very much in collections. Even my films, I make films that fit together as a collection. Jessica's films mostly take place outside of the United States. And they're documentaries, but they often have this strange, poetic, whimsical quality to them. And throughout her work, especially in her short films, Jessica draws on her collections. For example, in a short about hissing cockroaches called Arthropoda, a live cockroach crawls over Jessica's tiny dinosaur dioramas. These objects become kind of characters in some of your, your short films. Is that a fair way to, to portray it? Or how, how do you think of them in terms of their, their role in your filmmaking? I don't really think of them as characters so much as just inanimate things given animate life. 
um, quite literally an animation, but yeah, character implies some sort of written backstory, which I'm not mm. so interested in. For me, it's very much about just letting the objects be what they are and appreciating what part of them is visible. I talked to Jessica about her latest project, which isn't a film, but it's something she's been working on putting together for the last couple of years and in a really serious way since she moved to Las Vegas. It's a culmination of decades of work. It's a museum. It is full of all of the strange ephemeral collections that Jessica has been curating since she was a kid. Can you describe the museum? I'm still working on this one. You know me. It's my, my I'm so bad at describing things, but I often describe the museum as a collection of lost, a collection of collections of lost, forgotten, discarded, broken, tiny objects. These objects all live somewhere in between being tiny treasures and literal pieces of trash. It's the kind of stuff that never quite makes it out of your junk drawer or the penny box at the flea market, but that's just a little too charming to throw away. My favorite collection of all is dice that you can't play with. They are all old dice that are, their pips are sort of off-center or their corners are broken or they're uneven. So they would never pass muster in a casino, for instance. But they all have so much of their charm. A lot of them are home are handmade or they're just old enough that they're really falling apart. Yeah. A lot of the things in this collection are are yours. Is that correct? They're, yes, they are. I have maybe like one or two things that are on loan from my family, but everything else is mine, things that I've collected my entire life, and also things that recently people have sent me out of the blue, which has been wonderful. Can you give me a tour of the space? Sure. Okay. All right. So just Jessica is picking up her laptop and carrying my disembodied head out of her studio and into... What looks like an amazing place. Well, so I'm going to start you off from the front door. Okay, cool. Dun, 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 dun. Office of Collecting and Design. Um. The Office of Collecting and Design, or abbreviated OCD. The name kind of started as a joke. Uh, when Jessica told one of her friends about the museum, he poked fun at her for how meticulously she'd sorted out her collections. Jessica made a point of noting that she knows that OCD is a serious condition people deal with, and she's not trying to make light of it. But the name, the Office of Collecting and Design, did feel right, and so it stuck. And certainly the museum is well-organized and very particular. At the Office of Collecting and Design, you might open a drawer and find it full of loose buttons, or look at a tin and find it stuffed with more tiny tins, like Russian nesting dolls. Little itty-bitty glass jars are stuffed with beads and rubber bands and playing pieces, all lined up on tiny little shelves. Everything in its place. Um, I call this my gallery wall. Like, there's a collection of tiny cups and a collection of toy TVs and a collection of Japanese pigments, seeds and nuts. There's a tiny vintage dollhouse living room. What's, what's that in the upper right that looks like tiny steins? These are liqueur bottles that were from my grandmother. Yeah, Japanese pigments. The room isn't particularly big, and the whole museum's only about 800 square feet. 
But the collection swelled to fill every corner. And all of the objects give it a sort of cozy, bohemian, maximalist library feel. Everything in its perfect place. And whether the entire space is one great big piece of art or it's a museum made of many thousands of tiny pieces of art, it's kind of a, an open question. How many objects do you think are in the museum? Oh, golly. Um, d- certainly thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, depending. I mean, do you count every button? Do you count every marble, every dice, every die? I mean, yes. <laughs> then <laughs> probably close to 100,000. I don't know. Definitely thousands. Every single item in the museum was chosen by or given to or or in some way collected by Jessica. Every three-legged animal figurine, every tiny spoon. And by painstakingly sorting them and presenting them in this more formalized manner, Jessica's hoping to elevate them somehow, make them feel like something worth stopping and pausing over. One of my biggest collections is a collection of buttons that were thought to be lost. So all of these buttons that have, you know, escaped from their from their peers, um, I picked them up. And I've literally found hundreds and hundreds of them. I mean, because once you start looking, they're everywhere, but nobody else looks for them. And um, they're all they're all in an adventure now. They all get to have this 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 time together in the museum. <laughs> And and they're they're called buttons thought to be lost because because you found them. Well, because maybe the person who owns the jacket or whatever thinks that the button is lost, but the button is not lost to itself. It's on its own adventure. Mm. It's on its own its own travels, its own journey. It's not lost. It also reminds me of like what the pockets of a three year old look like. Pockets of a three year old or pockets of Jessica Oric, because my pockets are always full of those things. <laughs> and um, Did you enjoy the process of, of going through all of this and arranging it? The actual building of the museum itself has been pure joy. I mean, for people that know me, they are like, oh, this, this is the interior of your mind. Um, it's also been so stressful because... I knew that this moment was coming where I'd have to expose it to the public. And, um, and that, that part has been really, it's been really weighing on me. I definitely wake up, I wake up in the night and think, you know, oh my gosh, people are going to see the inside of my brain and realize how crazy I am. As of this recording, Jessica's museum has been open for six months. And I still haven't made it out to Las Vegas to check it out yet. But I called Jessica back to hear how things have been going. So the space is finished and open, yeah? It's open, but the space is never finished. It is a constant work in progress. But you're, like, letting people in to see it. Oh, yeah, but it's open. I mean, it's open to the public. Okay. Part of yeah, what yeah, makes yeah. it a constant work in progress is that the public now brings donations. I have had amazing donations, like... The sorts of things that if I found at a flea market, I'd go crazy for. And people just give them to me. I mean, one of my favorites that I always show people, hold on, I'll get it. At this point, Jessica walks out of frame. And when she comes back, she's holding this small wooden box up to the screen. I love it because it's sweet, but I love it even more because it's the sort of thing that if anybody else received this in the mail, 
they would be horrified. <laughs> but it's this sweet, tiny little wooden box with, with initials wood burned on the cover there on the lid. And it swings open and there's a tiny, tiny dead fish inside. Like a little dried tiny <laughs> fish. It's a real fish. <laughs> And it, seriously, if anybody else, like... <laughs> did, this, <laughs> did this come with a story? Was there any explanation about it? Or did it just show up in the mail? No, I mean, somebody had somebody had, had written, you know, they were like, they weren't on display in her home. And she didn't know why she was keeping them other than the fact that she was charmed by them. And mm. so she was like, I would rather other people be charmed by them. And I am. I love it. Since opening... People from all over, of all ages, have wandered into the museum. And Jessica's hosted events, too. A sketch-up where a bunch of illustrators came and drew parts of the collection, a collage night, a tarot reading night. But the most interesting thing that's happened is that this museum full of eclectic objects has begun to create a kind of eclectic community. A space where collectors, people who love these small, ephemeral bits of our world, can gather and find each other. When I opened the space, I was way more, it was a very selfish thing. It felt like it was very much because I had these things that I loved and I really wanted to put them in a beautiful space. And that was sort of it. And I was sort of like, do I care about people? Sometimes, but not really. But now that I've had these so many people in here and have met such wonderful people, it has totally changed my perspective and that that is something that I did not foresee, that it would actually help heal my my, dis, my dislike of humans. <laughs> Don't put that in. Oh, that's going in. <laughs> um, uh, you know, just that, just that it, 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 it sort of like reinstilled some faith in humanity. Being mm. able to share the space has been really wonderful. The Museum of Collecting and Design is located in Las Vegas, not too far from the Strip, in a kind of nondescript mini-mall. It's a bit of a surprise hiding in plain sight, much like the objects that it holds. It's open for walk-ins every Wednesday between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., and you can make an appointment by emailing, calling, or DMing Jessica at office.of.collecting on Instagram. Thanks for talking with me today. It's really cool to see this space. I can't wait to see it in person. I can't wait to have you in person. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Sarah Wyman. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder-Arnold, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire Seuss, Guinevere Govea, McKenna Smith, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Casey Holford, Peter Clowney, and this episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you soon. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. 
Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Decoder Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Decoder Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Decodering, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by the New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one.